Let's turn to the book of Psalms. We'll start there tonight. Many wonderful verses to get to. I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. We'll trust the Lord to lead me to the ones for this hour. Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3 is a great chapter. Speaks of God's protection. And we know, of course, God's protection physically and God's protection and salvation eternally are linked. The same God, of course, that saves us eternally can protect us physically. Let's look at Psalm chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the verses we're going to look at as we study the Word of God. Thank you that you're a God who saves. You're a God who recognizes that we need saving, and you care enough to move and to do what's necessary to save us. And we confess we are a needy people, so we ask at this time you'd teach us your word, give me the the wisdom to know exactly what verses to share Uh, at this hour, we pray for the Holy Spirit to work in each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, So we find here uh, in verse 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord, and thy blessing is upon thy people. Of course, (coughs) salvation and blessing are linked. God gives us a lot of blessings, everything from life, breath, health, but the greatest blessing of all, other, uh, even more so than, than earthly life, is eternal life, salvation. So salvation is the greatest blessing. In the context here, the Bible's talking about uh, physical salvation or earthly salvation, if you will. Look at verse 1. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. So the psalmist here, which uh, David wrote... And we believe this was written when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, boy, he had a, a wonderful life, a very blessed life, uniquely blessed of God. And then as an old man, uh, his own son rises up against him. Part of the kingdom rises up against him. And he goes on the run rather than fight his own son. And the, the conspiracy was strong, the Bible said. So, uh, Absalom for years undermined his father, Uh, and a lot of this was due, uh, you can draw it all the way back to David's sin with Bathsheba, that although that was forgiven of the eternal sin, uh, all sin has earthly impacts, and then David didn't deal with the sin of his own son, uh, Amnon, when Amnon uh, violated his own sister, David didn't handle that right, eventually Absalom murdered his brother, and then David didn't handle that right. And so it's, it's one of those things to where David was a, a blessed man in a lot of ways, but he failed in several areas when it came to his family. And we need to remember, folks, that our family is our greatest ministry, that we need to serve the Lord, we need to do things right, but that also means we need to do things right within our family. And that doesn't mean that we go against God to please our family it means that we lead our family to please God. And then we make the 
necessary choices within our family in a way that will please the Lord. Ultimately, if we will please the Lord, everything else will work out. Uh, we can try to manage and say, well, I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to do this. And, well, I, I, I don't know if I should, but I won't. And yeah, We try to manipulate things and got to make him happy and got to make her happy. No, no. What you need to do is make God happy. And then when you make God happy, even if people are upset at you temporarily, God works it all out. Uh, and so David struggled. And here later in life, as a gray-headed man, many rose up against him. He had to flee his own kingdom. Verse 2, many there be which say in my soul, there is no help for him in God, Salah. Selah or Selah means, um, think about that. It means to stop and meditate. Uh, and it's also a musical notation that speaks of a pause, a meditative pause. So when the Bible, specifically in the book of Psalms, because that's the song book of Israel, when you see the word Selah or Salah, it just means to pause, stop and think about that. And if we stop and think about that, there were many people in David's own kingdom who was the great slayer of the giant, who was the one who protected and rebuilt Israel, People said, oh, God's done with him. He ran his course. He's over. God's through. You got to be careful about saying God's through with people. Because as long as people are still breathing, God's not done with him yet. Uh, and God eventually brought David back into the throne. And David put his trust in the right place. Verse 3, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. And I've got that verse underlined in my Bible that, that's gotten me through some hard times. You know, if you want to do the right thing, you're going to have a hard time getting through this life without somebody pointing their finger at you and saying that you're doing things wrong and accusing you of things and beating you up and, and uh, misunderstanding you and all of those things and sometimes outright attacking you. But when that happens, even if people say there's no help for him in God, God's done with him, that wonderful verse, but thou, O Lord, are to shield for me and my glory and the lifter up of my head. That'll get you through some dark days for sure. And so he goes on to say, he cried unto the Lord, verse 4. He laid down and slept and awaked for the Lord sustained him. Lord, he was literally running for his life and getting snatches of sleep here and there. God protected him so he could get some sleep. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten uh, all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. So a salvation we see here, uh, God delivered or saved David out of that circumstance. And we also know the same God that can save us out of circumstances here, can save us eternally. And the same God that saves us eternally can save us from our circumstances down here you might find yourself in a difficult place today have you ever been in a spot where you can't pay the bills you don't know where to live you need cheaper rent you've got health problems you got upcoming surgery you know even some of the things that we talked about tonight in our prayer time you know God can help with that and thank the Lord I was reading my Bible of yesterday and it says there's a verse that says, he maketh a way when there is no way. And then there's a verse that says, I read yesterday, 
that he makes it so there is no way. And it's an interesting thought to where God can either close your path and make it to where you're on a dead-end road, or God can make a dead-end road open up and have a clear path. And that ought to give us a lot of joy, that regardless of what life looks like in this very moment, if we stay faithful, God's more than capable of opening up a road and having us walk through it uh, and wonderful truth there. All right, let's look at Psalm 37, kind of the same thought, salvation is of God. We know he's the author and finisher of our faith, Psalm chapter 37. And look at verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. Verse 40, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them, and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in him. How many times in the Bible do we have illustrations of people being delivered from desperate circumstances because they trusted in God? Also, especially in the books of Kings and Chronicles, you can find a lot of illustrations of times where kings of Israel, instead of trusting God, they tried to manipulate it their own way and they were rebuked of the Lord. And so we always want to seek salvation from God first. Are you in debt? Uh, Well, you might want to pray about that thing. You know, the average person is in uh, quite a bit of... uh, Credit card debt nowadays, I think the average household's over 20,000, 20 some thousand dollars in, in credit card debt. I forget the exact number, but it was an astonishing number. I th- believe it was over 50% of Americans could not put their hands on $1,000 today if they had an emergency. And I want to say it was closer to 60%. And you think about how many times in your life and my life we fit into that category. Uh, and times get tough and life gets difficult. Think about how many times... People are sick, whether they're uh, healing from getting run over by a car or chronic illness or cancer. Or think about our dear sister Cheryl Sherman, who struggled with uh, this cancer and abdominal problems, hasn't been able to eat in food through her mouth in over a year. Uh, our dear sister Claire Benz, who has a slow-growing form of cancer where it's in her stomach, and thankfully it's not, it's not progressing fast, uh, so it's not going to kill her tomorrow, but at the same time, it's not progressing fast enough for them to do anything about it, Uh, and along with all of her other health problems. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Think about uh, Brother John Higgs with a stroke up in in Providence, and we don't know how much he's comprehending and how much he's able to communicate, and of course, we went through that with my father-in-law last year. Boy, folks, people are in in desperate need, Uh, and we've got to understand that it's time to trust the Lord. We, the White House isn't going to save us. The Republicans aren't going to save us. The Independents aren't going to save us. The Democrats certainly aren't going to save us. Uh, and uh, the, the judges aren't going to save us. That's right. What we need is God. And we need a, a, a full circle turn back to God in America. But that starts in my heart. It starts in your heart. It starts in our little church uh, to where if each one of us will do it, then that grows and can be contagious. But we've got to do more than just diagnose the problem. We have to offer people the correct solution. And the correct solution is 
to trust in the Lord. Look at Psalm chapter 40. Not my outline tonight, but a great passage of Scripture. It talks about the salvation of the Lord in an illustrative way. Psalm chapter 40, this, these were the favorite verses of one of my mentors in, in Bible college, uh, Brother Matt Millen, and uh, appreciate that man and everything that, that he did for us. And his daughter ended up marrying uh, my brother Levi and uh, gave us beautiful nieces and nephews. And, but I often think of him when I think of these verses. But look at verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. This is an illustration of God's salvation. He, he reached down and took us out of that horrible pit, out of that miry clay that, that we sink into, and it kind of has that suction pulling effect. It's hard to get out of and just nasty and gross, and, and God pulls us out of that and cleans us off and sets our feet upon a rock and establishes our going. He gives us a direction. He puts a new song in our heart uh, and a new way to look at life and think about things. What, a, what a, a glorious illustration. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. And so... Of course, they're talking about blessed is the man that put, make it the Lord his trust. And then we've got two things that can keep us from following the Lord. The first is respecting the proud. Sometimes we'll stop following God because we'll start following someone else. Maybe they're proud, they act like they have all the answers, they act like they, they've arrived or they could show us a better way than God's way. And there's a lot of personalities and, and magnetism that can pull someone off the right track. And can I just tell you, don't put your trust in man. Don't follow anybody that's trying to tell you not to follow God or not to follow him in the way that he wants to be followed because that will keep you from trusting the Lord. So if you're going to be blessed and make the Lord your trust, you have to respect not the proud. I'm not going to respect that. I'm not going to follow that. And then the other thing that can pull us away from trusting the Lord, uh, nor such as turn aside to lies. Boy, some people just downright lie to you. Maybe it's God's not real. Maybe it's God doesn't care about you. Maybe it's God doesn't care how you live. God doesn't care how you worship. God doesn't want you to go to church. God doesn't care how you do this or that. Uh, these lies that, that come across, you know, these lies today of, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm, I'm just not religious. Or, you know, I just don't believe in church anymore. I follow God my own way. You know, all those things can sound kind of pious and, oh, yeah, that makes sense but they're lies that lead you into a ditch. The proud will lead you into a ditch on one side, and the liars will lead you into a ditch on the other. But blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. Isn't that good? We're talking about salvation is of God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, and look at verse 10, and yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord, 
So this speaks of the difference between Israel, the ten northern tribes, and Judah, uh, the, the southern tribes. When they split off, Israel consistently uh, rejected God and, and would get into sin. They were actually taken into captivity first, but her little sister, as the Bible calls it, the uh, southern tribes of Judah, did not listen. They didn't learn from the mistakes of, of Israel, and they followed in the same way and eventually were carried off to Babylon as well. And then he says in verse 15, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Verse 14 talks about turn, O backsliding children. So God said, I need you to turn back to me. The answer is for you to turn back to me. Why? Salvation's of the Lord. If you'll turn back to me, then I'm going to help you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to strengthen you. He said, I'm going to give you pastors that are according to my heart. They're going to feed you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to give you knowledge and understanding. Look at verse 22, return you backsliding children, I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. And so again, God pleading with them to come back. And then verse 23, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. And so what a powerful verse to reminding a people and people reminding themselves, look, we, we can't look for salvation anywhere else, not to the hills, not to the mountains, uh, not to the valleys, but in the Lord is our salvation. And salvation is of the Lord. And it's very important that we understand that. And then when it talks about salvation, how is God going to provide not just earthly salvation, but spiritual salvation and look at Isaiah chapter 45 Isaiah chapter 45 we're going to learn salvation is is of God salvation's of the Lord and how is he going to purchase our eternal salvation Look at Isaiah chapter 43 while you're here, and verses 25 and 26. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Here God's saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to blot out your sins. I'm going to uh, remember them no more. And forgetting is not the same as choosing not to remember. You and I forget things. To forget is to involuntarily lose track of a fact or not remember a fact. God in his omnipotence can say, I know this, but I'm going to choose not to remember it. I'm going to choose to put that away forever because it's paid for uh, and a beautiful truth. But how is God going to accomplish this? Look at Isaiah chapter 45, and we look at verse 21. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time, who 
hath told of thee from that time, have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? There's only one God, there's only one Savior. Verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. That's actually the verse that Charles Spurgeon heard many years ago and uh, trusted Christ. But this idea of looking unto me, well, I thought, I thought we're going to have to keep the sacrifices and do all of these things. No, was, true salvation comes from looking to the Savior uh, and a look of faith. And we learn in the New Testament that the, the faith is what saves the soul. In the Old Testament, all the system of sacrifices, carrying out those sacrifices, was just an act of faith where we believed or they believed that carrying this out would honor the Lord. And this was part of God's plan of salvation. And every sacrifice pointed to the, the Savior, the Messiah, who would come. So in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross and got saved by faith in the coming Savior. And in the New Testament, we look back to the cross and we are saved by faith in the Savior that's already come. Amen? And so that's important truth for us. Then the Bible gives a, a lot of detail as far as the Old Testament goes about uh, this salvation. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 58. Well, let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him, so the Savior shall grow up before the Father as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. Later in the New Old Testament, he's called the root of Jesse. Uh, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty in him that we should desire him. So the Savior, even in all his perfection, he wasn't extra tall. He wasn't exceedingly handsome. You know, even as famous as Jesus was, when he was betrayed by Judas, the people there said, how are we going to know Jesus? And they, they worked it out that Judas said, well, it's the one that I'll go, I'll go up and greet him with a kiss, and that's, you'll know that that's him. So it wasn't like Jesus had, had this star following him around. It wasn't like he glowed normally where you could look at him and say, wow, that's the Christ. Uh, no, you had to, to look a little bit deeper than outward appearances. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. That's another Old English word for sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from the judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. Was he stricken? He hath made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. The, the parallels here to Christ are amazing and astounding. It's, it's a, a 100% fulfillment of prophecy given hundreds of years before. Even the fact of Joseph of Arimathea went and begged the body of Christ off the cross, cleaned him up with Nicodemus, the New Testament tells us, and then Joseph laid Christ in his own grave. Joseph was a wealthy man. And if you go to the grave in Israel where they say Christ was buried, you can see that they had to hurriedly dig out extra room because whoever they laid there was bigger than what the original grave had called for. But here the Bible, hundreds of years before, says he's, he's going to lay in a rich man's grave. And he says, because he'd done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. The witnesses didn't give a pilot or the, the, the Jews any reason to crucify him. Pilate even cried out, why, what evil hath he done? This, this passage of Scripture is it's amazing and it's so convincing about who Jesus is. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He, God, shall see the travail of his Jesus' soul, and he, God, shall be satisfied. And so we see that Jesus Christ was the satisfactory payment for all the sins that would ever come. Verse 10 says it pleased the Lord to bruise him, not because he, he wanted to hurt the Christ, but in those moments... As 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, Christ became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So in that moment, God took all the sins of everybody who had ever lived, and Jesus became sin. And God the Father took all of the wrath for all the sin and pointed it at Christ as His justice was pleased to punish the sin. And we see here Jesus, when thou shalt make an off, verse 10, when thou shalt make an offering, his soul an offering for sin, he shall see the seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So this is Jesus. This is a, a, looking forward to Hebrews chapter 12, that Jesus, looking beyond the cross, despising the shame, he suffered for us knowing the good that it was going to bring about. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? This is our Jesus. Look at verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death this 
looks forward to Ephesians chapter 2, or Philippians chapter 2, when it talks about he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, giving him a name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, everything is going to cry out, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why Isaiah 58 is a life-changing passage and why the, the Jewish folks who want to reject Christ run a thousand miles away from it. But we do find, and we'll end with this tonight, we do find a man in Acts chapter 8 who was reading Isaiah chapter 53 and he too was arrested by what he saw. Look at Acts chapter 8. Verse 27, And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and read Isaiah the prophet. So here's an Ethiopian diplomat who had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was going back to Ethiopia, and he's reading this passage about in the book of Isaiah that had totally arrested his heart and his mind, and God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, sent a soul winner by and said, go talk to that man. That's why when God puts it on our heart to pass out a track or to talk to someone about Jesus, we need to always obey that impulse because we don't know what's going on in the other person's heart. What if Philip would have said, oh, Lord, he looks rich. I, I better not talk to him. He's probably, he's wealthy. He's probably not going to listen. Oh, Lord, he's, he's busy driving down the road. I'd have to run and catch up and stop him. And, you know, Philip had a lot of reasons to, to not go through with this, but thank God he did. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. So the Ethiopian diplomats reading out loud and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he, the Ethiopian, said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before the shear, so opened he not his mouth. Does that sound familiar? Verse 34, and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself, or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water. Uh, they went down in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And notice, he didn't get baptized to wash away his sin. Before he got baptized, he had to acknowledge who Jesus was. It's belief in the person and work of Christ that is the doorway to salvation. Baptism shows the faith that we have in our heart and our desire to follow him. I hope you know that we've been talking about salvation. Folks, salvation's of the Lord. 
And God has, has planned this thing called salvation way back before you and I even existed. And whether it's salvation of our earthly lives when we are in a difficult spot or a desperate time, it's salvations of the Lord. Or when it comes to eternal salvation, God had planned that the Savior would come and die in a very specific way. And Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, died on the cross to pay for our sins, was buried and rose again. And if we're willing to place our heart's faith in Him and His death, burial, and resurrection, then we can go to heaven when we die. Isn't that a blessing? Salvation is of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the chance to chat this evening from Thy Word. Thank you for being a God who saves.